Numbers chapter 19, 14 through 15. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And so you're unclean for seven days until the cycle of purification is complete. On the eighth day, new beginnings, you come out as a new person and it's what he is saying. And he said, every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. I'm talking about the function and the power of spiritual coverings. And the reason we are is become, because, once again, um, spiritual coverings are an extremely important part of Scripture. And your relationship with the kingdom of God is directly affected by your spiritual covering. And this passage in the book of Numbers, you look at that, it almost looks like a quaint uh, recommendation for a people that lived in a time before uh, microbiology, uh, the science of uh, bacteria, the study of infectious diseases, all of these things had advanced to the level that, that it is now. I'm frequently in Africa where there are horrific infectious diseases and and they can look at these things under a microscope and there have been this wonderful array of antibiotics that most of us nowadays take for granted that are used and that have been developed to treat these various types of illnesses should you have the misfortune of coming down with one. I remind you that in the day that Israel was in the wilderness during that season, microbiology had never even been considered. And they didn't know anything about infection. They didn't know anything about antibiotics. And this is the law of what would happen if someone died in a tent and contamination occurred in a home. If there was a vessel that was not covered, that that vessel was considered to be contaminated for seven days, and it literally had to go through a cleansing process. If it had a covering on it, then the death that was in that home, the infection in that home, would not be able to contaminate this vessel. You say, that's somewhat archaic, and we're well beyond that in terms of scientific development now. But the spiritual application is extraordinarily powerful, and the reason it still bears import for all of us today and is worthy of our consideration is because this is an apostolic house, and there is death at work all around us every single day. Death is at work on your job. Marriages are dying. Finances are dying. Families are dying. And relationships are dying. Spirituality in some people, there are, there, death is at work. This is what the Lord meant when he said that in the day you eat of this forbidden fruit, you will die. Death is at work. And he's really talking about the consequences of wrong choices and how that, that sin brings about spiritual decay. And so bad attitudes and all of these other things that are talked about, animosity, anger every single day. I mean, these days you turn on the news and I've never seen so much divisiveness in all of my life. Stories that are made up and, and created that you later find a day or two in small print are not even real. And attacks against people. Have you ever seen such a time? I've never seen such a time in my life. And I've been here a little while. Amen. They've never seen anything like this. If you're not careful, what will happen is that contamination can get in your spirit. And it can happen over so many things. It can happen in the disruption of a family. Uh, next thing you know, you've got contamination because you uh, took a side and somebody that's bitter has now infected you. And your spiritual progress is impeded by this infection, virulent infection that is spreading. Spiritual coverings help provide divine immunity from these kind of things because when there is a covering, then that vessel, even though it's in a situation where there's contamination, that vessel is still considered to be clean because it's covered. And so we're talking about spiritual coverings, the function and the power of spiritual coverings. There are eight of them. And the first seven uh, I've already mentioned and uh, just referred to them, and they make up the eighth one, which is a ministry covering the first seven and uh, are a part of the eighth. I won't go back and reteach that, but now I'm walking through what these first seven are, and then I'll conclude this series by talking about what a ministry covering really is and what it is not, because people sometimes allow all stuff, kind of stuff to go on. And it's done under the guise, well, that's my spiritual covering. 
And uh, that can be abused and misunderstood, and, and I sure don't want that to happen to you. I've already walked through um, blood coverings and what they mean and, and prayer coverings, and for the last couple of Sundays, I have been on worship coverings, or the last Sunday and today, that is. I'm going to talk about worship coverings today, and then I'll talk about it again next week. And uh, I'm not going to get as far as I'd hoped to today. I've just got too much stuff to cover. Lord have mercy. I, I, have, I am not one of those to get Saturday night jitters as a pastor. I know lots of guys who do. They call around asking their friends, well, are you going to preach tomorrow? There's not a message in the Bible. Amen. I've had people tell me that. There's not a message in the Bible. And I come up here and I got my fingers stuck in so many places, I know before I get started, I'm not going to get through with all of them. The problem is not having something to preach. It's knowing when to shut up. Amen. And take my seat. I mean, there's just too much in this book. Lord have mercy. This book is full of stuff. So I'm not going to be able to finish everything. Just look at somebody and say, you don't want to miss next Sunday. I promise you. I promise you, you don't. I'm going to shake the house next week. I'm going to shake the house. And you better come with your seatbelt on because I, I'm going to rattle a few cages, if, as it were. Amen. And I, I'm, I'm working toward that right now. I started last Sunday. And talking about worship coverings, these are what allow access to the glory dimension where the miraculous and the supernatural occur. Many people don't realize there are different dimensions in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If you look at that in the Greek, it literally means many rooms or levels. We always think of some mansion on the hillside of glory. You know, that, that's what that's referring to. In my Father's house is this mansion over there, and, and that really came out of the era of the Depression and what followed when people struggled so much that they kept going on this basis. Man, if I can get to glory... I might be poor right now, but I've got a mansion in glory. I don't want to shake your theology about that. So I'm going to just leave that alone and simply say that in the Greek, what it really says is there are different rooms. And I'll say it like this. I've got a pair of Lucchese boots on right now. And in my house, there are different rooms. Just because you have a key to get in one door doesn't mean you get into my bedroom. And just because you have a key to get in my bedroom doesn't mean you have the key to get into my closet. You got to go through several different rooms before you can get my Lucchese boots and try them on. And what that simply means is in the kingdom of God, there's some things you have to have keys for to get to the next level before you access them. Am I talking to anybody right now? There are three dimensions in the kingdom of God. You'll always find that the Bible refers to the kingdom of God in three dimensions. For example, in, in literature, writing, math, things like this, we talk about the three R's, right? Okay, there are three dimensions in the kingdom of God as well. There were three institutions through which God has endeavored to reach the world and establish his divine principles in the earth. The first was Israel. Second is the church. Third is the kingdom of God. Power is always in the third dimension. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. Power, third dimension. Three that bear record in heaven. Three that bear witness in the earth, First John. We walk through this over and over again. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three dimensions. We, we see the three dimensions of the gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, powers in the third dimension, always. Israel went through the transition from Egypt to the wilderness by going through three dimensions. Egyptian captivity, the wilderness, the promised land. Where was the power? Third dimension. And as I've already mentioned to you, what it takes to get you from one to the other will not get you through the next. It takes the blood to get out of Egypt. It takes the anointing to get through the wilderness, but it takes the glory to get into the promised land. Amen. Three dimensions, powers always in the third dimension. That's why you get to choose which one of these you want to be a part of. 
Some people are satisfied to stay on the surface, the first dimension, never dig any deeper. Others go a little further, and yet others go a little further still. It's likened to Jesus praying in Gethsemane. He left part of the disciples here, first dimension. Took Peter, James, and John, went to this place, and then he himself removed about a stone's cast away and began to pray. Three dimensions. Where do you want to stop? You understand what I'm saying. Peter said, let us build here three tabernacles on the Mount of Transfiguration. One to Moses, one to Elijah, one to you. Three dimensions. We could go on and on all day long with this. Ruth, three dimensions of abundance. The first level is having just enough. She has gotten just enough from gleaning to be able to keep body and soul together that day for her and Naomi. Next day she goes back. Boaz says leave handfuls on purpose. She comes back with her basket loaded down. She goes back later and discovers that uh, at Naomi's advice that Boaz cares for her, she marries him and she's gone from just enough to handfuls on purpose to now being married to the owner of the field three dimensions. You see what I'm talking about? That's always that way in the kingdom of God. So you have to go through these and to get from one to the other, you have to find out what the key is to reach the next level. I'll also tell you the principality at one level is not the principality at another. So new levels, new devils to, to uh, quote Francis Frangipane. And worship allows you to go through the three elements or movements of approaching God. The first is thanksgiving, as I taught last week. The second is praise. The third is worship. The supernatural, the glory dimension, is where the miraculous occurs, which means that when people start falling off in terms of the body of Christ in their worship and they are more content to stay just at the level of praise or even thanksgiving. To that same and marked measure, they also begin to fail to see the supernatural uh, element of God at work in their lives. Oh, I wish I, I could talk about that for a while right there. Amen. And so I want to begin today with a cover, uh, with a, a question rather. What is perfect worship? What is perfect worship? You probably have some ideas. My question is this, can you even find it on earth? And I ask that because as we all know, this is a fallen world in which most if not all of what we see reflects that imperfection including us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, therefore the need for spiritual coverings because contamination exists. I've often said we live in a fallen world, we're a fallen race, and this fallen world is ruled by a fallen Lord. Perfect worship does exist, but I would submit to you that it's unlikely you're going to find it here. If you want to find perfect worship, you need to look where perfection occurs. That's in heaven. Have you ever thought that whatever imperfections exist here, the moment you leave this world to go to glory, all of those imperfections drop away like the booster parts of a rocket on its way to the moon? The first stages, they drop off and they plummet back to the earth. The man that was the poor man laid at Davi's gate, the rich man, Lazarus was the poor man's name, covered with sores, died. I can promise you that by the time his spirit left the carcass that was his body and made the transition to heaven, before he got there, every sore was gone. There will be no imperfection in heaven. Can I hear an amen? And the reason that we know no imperfection exists in heaven, the Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation. Amen. There's no darkness, no separation, no sea, no disease, no crime, no sirens wailing in the middle of the night, and, and, and no jails, and no incarceration, and, and no murder, and no wickedness, no division, no hostility. Oh, sounds like a good place to go to. Amen. And if it is true that in heaven 
perfection exists, but in this world it doesn't, which I believe is the case. It's unlikely that you're going to find perfect worship in this earth. To find it, what you need to do is look at the Word of God and see what it looks like to have perfect worship. If you can find such a place, and fortunately you can, because in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and was allowed to glimpse what heaven looked like, peer through the gates, and this is what he saw. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want you to notice the four different categories of people who are there, all nations, all tribes, all people, and all tongues. Now specifically, look beyond those terms at what the actual Greek means, because the Greek word for nations is ethnicities, all ethnicities. And then all tribes, for the Greek word here, is families or clan. And what that means is not just grandma and grandpa, but also the grandkids and everybody in between. You see what I'm saying? That perfect worship is a family situation. Mm. You got to hear what I'm talking about. You say, well, I'm young and I want to go to a church with all young people. You sure are not going to have perfect worship if you do. Because perfect worship is when families worship together. Amen. And all peoples, and the Greek is cultures or social groupings, different cultures. You see, if you're not careful, what ends up happening is you want to gravitate to people that are just like you. You want to worship with people that look like you, dress like you, sing like you, talk like you, play the same music, eat the same food, everything else, you know, have the same beliefs. And the fourth category is all tongues or languages. And while I'm talking about music, I'll just say this. Um, When we say languages, we're not just talking about a spoken language. You may not realize it, but the largest language in the world is not English, it's music. Music is literally the language, the universal language of this planet right now. I don't care where I've been, whether it's been in China, Russia, Latin and South America, throughout Asia, Europe, Africa, wherever I go, they're singing American pop songs. I'm serious. They might not be able to say a word to you in an English conversation, but they sure know how to sing Drake's song. You, know, you hear what I'm saying? They know who Rihanna is, much to their misfortune. <laughs> Doing my Stevie Wonder impersonation. I don't even see you. <laughs> Amen. Perfect worship is when people from all ethnicities when family groups of all ages, when different social and cultural groups and languages and music styles are joined in worship together, that's what you're going to find when you get to heaven. So if you can't deal with it here, I'm not sure but what you might ought to be making reservations to go somewhere else. Because God created everything to be in harmony and like a giant orchestra comprised of millions of different and individual instruments, everything makes its own contribution to the masterpiece, which is the symphony earth created that is called worship to its creator. I just wonder what would happen because it has been said that that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in all of America. I just wonder if what people could get beyond their presuppositions and prejudices and, and the things we think we know and just worship together. I just wonder what would happen if people would lay all of that down and come in and say, this is all about God and I'm going to worship God right now. Amen. This is actually what Paul was laboring to achieve when he reminded us that we're all part of Christ's body and therefore all are equally important. And if you will notice, the body is made up of many different parts that work together in harmony 
and in unity to obey the communication from one head. Notice that. If there's more than one head, you have something that is a monstrosity. Amen. And if the body doesn't obey the head, what you have is paralysis. Mm -hmm. And what we see in today's world is people do what in theology is called gift gravitation. They gravitate toward people who think just like them, look like them, act like them, talk like them, sing like them, like the same music, same whatever. And what you do is you got all the prophets getting together and prophesying to each other. And you got all the teachers getting over here and teaching each other. And you got all the evangelists over here in their little church evangelizing. And what you do is you have all the young people in their little group and all the young adults in theirs, and you have all of these other things. In churches, we must present the gospel in age-graded presentations. Because small children cannot receive what you receive in this building. So we got, on Sunday morning, we've got 11 different children's churches going on at the same time. But they're here on this property to worship together. In this corner, this plot of ground right here on Wallaceville, 13334 Wallaceville, there is a harmony of worship made up of over 40 nationalities. We have all kind of ethnicities that are here. And then on top of that, we got all kind of age groups and cultures where worshiping the Lord. I like to think that God enjoys that. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. Because you got all these groups wanting to get together with folk that they are more comfortable being with because that's my, my culture, my age dynamic. And that's like I said, good until you reach a certain level when you need to be integrated into the full body of Christ. And, and to demonstrate that, let's use and borrow Paul's analogy. Because if this is the human body and each of us are a different part, how would it be if all the noses got together? And they went to their nose church and the door opened and a great big nose with nostrils flapping came down the aisle. That looks hideous, doesn't it? What is perfectly normal and beautiful when seen and viewed in harmony with the other features of the body becomes an abnormality when it's by itself. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said, did you? Or a great big eyeball comes flopping down the aisle. And I know some of us have big feet, but if it was a great big foot, you think that's ridiculous. I know it is. But we understand the spiritual, Paul said, by looking at the natural. Why don't we have enough sense or intelligence to figure out that if it doesn't work in the physical, it doesn't work in the spiritual either. I come in close because you, I, I got your attention now. Amen. Psalms 148, verse 114 through 14. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all the armies of heaven. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you twinkling stars. Praise him skies above. Praise him vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing. Are you created? Can I hear an Amen. Are you created? Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths. Fire and hail, snow and wind. Wind are snow and clouds. Wind and weather that obey. Mountains and all hills. Fruit, trees and all cedars. Wild animals and all livestock. Small scurrying animals and birds. Kings of the earth and all people. Rulers and judges of the earth. And then young men and young women. Old men and children. Let them all. All praise the name of the Lord for his name is very great. His glory towers above the earth in heaven. You want to see the third dimension, the glory of God? Get all these different worship elements together. That's when the glory towers above earth and heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise ye the Lord. What the scripture literally says is that we are indeed in all of earth. 
is a part of this, an orchestra made up of many parts. And whenever we don't worship the Lord together and we gravitate to be with people that are are just like us. Now, I've got a reason that I'm going to do this because I'm going to talk to you next weekend, look at your neighbor again and say, watch it. He's getting ready to hit you where you live. Amen. Not going to talk to me, but I know he's going to talk to you. Amen. And I'm going to be right here egging him on while he's talking to you. You go ahead and think that. Amen. Because next weekend, I I want to pull it together. Amen. God did not make us all alike. Each one of us is unique and different. But serving and worshiping the Lord together is when we build a beautiful symphony of praise to God. And this is why God hates division. When we are divided and there is hatred or strife, Among us, separation, it's like a part of God's orchestra deciding to play in a different key from all the others. It's as though all the percussionists decided to get together and play their own tempo and maybe we're playing in 4-4 time and they're playing in something else altogether. Or the brass pulling away. And while the middle in the middle of the orchestrated performance, a symphony, they decide to play a different song. And all of a sudden, it's filled with jangling discord. And it's not beautiful anymore. It creates confusion. That is literally what Satan sets out to do. Why does he love division? It's because it mars and disrupts the harmony of earth's worship of its creator. Satan is trying to steal God's worship. He got kicked out of heaven for it. And he's still trying to do it right now. Mm, I'm preaching better than you're responding. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no, everybody say no, divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, we have no divisions here, so I'm not preaching because there's any kind of a problem. But I, want, I can't really talk to you about worship unless you understand certain foundational premises that must be met, conditions, qualify, qualifying factors that you must embrace to, before you can reach the third dimension, which is worship. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Your house can't stand if it's divided. A marriage can't stand. A family can't stand. A business can't stand. This apostolic house can be disrupted if there is not harmony in terms of what we're trying to pursue. And worship brings us together in unity like nothing else can. Let's face it, with over 40 nationalities in this church, primarily a third Hispanic, a third Anglo, and a third African-American, we got all kind of stuff going on here. Different opinions and different political perspectives and, and different ethnicities and cultures. And, and we were raised in a different kind of environment from one another. I'm a Cajun, so actually I got a little bit of all of y'all in me. Amen. That's why I'm perfectly at home here. But some of you look around and say, man, I, I got folk here that don't look like me. All of y'all look like me. Amen. And, I mean, I got a grandfather whose family came out in Norway. He married a lady that was American Indian, First Nation. On my mother's side, she was Cajun French right out of Nova Scotia to the swamps of Louisiana. And from France to Nova Scotia, I found out I've even got Jewish blood. My mother's maiden name is a Jewish name. Amen. And not only that, but they intermarried everything in the swamps, which was the runaway slave. And... So I am a mongrel, if they, I guess. Yeah. I am not a German shepherd. I'm a mongrel. I'm a little bit of everything, which makes me feel right at home no matter where I go in the world. I can sit down and I can eat food in Africa, Latin and South America, Asia, Europe. I, I don't care where I go. I can do fine. Amen. I am anointed and called to the world because I've got the world inside of me. Amen. And many of us are like that. 
But here's what A.W. Tozer said. In this day and age, I'm hearing a lot. I've never lived in such a time that has been so divisive. And I'm hearing people say, we've got to fix this. And they focus on this problem and that one. A.W. Tozer, the great church mystic of the 1950s, said, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer together than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Kill them. I'll illustrate what I'm saying. Ed Henry sitting on this side of the building. Uh, Tony Bass. It would be easier for Tony, Ed, because you'll want to climb over our sister. And I want you to look at this as being heaven's throne right here for just a moment. Can you do that? And then right over here, Brother Lawrence, I see you sitting on the second pew. And right over here, my brother, I want you to come. And right over here, I want you to come. And I want you all to come. If this were the throne, you're approaching the throne together. Would you all mind standing, the ones that I've just called out, and just make your way right down here? For, for just a moment, thank you. Now, I want you to watch what's happening. This is beautiful. They started out on opposite ends of the room. Because they came here to the throne, they are now together. Somebody in the building shout amen. Thank you, men of God. Thank you, brave brethren. I appreciate that. What I'm trying to show you is that when people gather in church to focus on and to worship God, there has always been far more unity among different peoples than there could ever possibly be in politics or in the economy. Do you see what I'm saying? This world can never create the level of harmony that exists when the people of God come together. Because when we walk in these doors, some are Democrat and some Republican, some independent, and some can be rich and some poor and some educated and some not as much. And somebody else can be Hispanic and someone else Asian and Anglo or black. Somebody else can be male or female. Somebody else can be young or old. But when you come here, what you do is you submit all of that to the greater agenda of being a child of God that's come to worship his heavenly father. Oh, I'm preaching to you. If you want to know what the heart of worship is, it's I'm laying everything else down to come exalt Jesus Christ. I'm in this place today to praise him. Now watch it because this is so important. In this, there's a powerful kingdom principle at work. That principle is this. If it's unity that is needed, you should begin by focusing on and drawing closer to God rather than focusing on what divides us. Because the closer you get to him like these men, the less separation you're going to see existing between you and others who are here. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is what Paul, man, in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus. Anybody here been baptized into Christ Jesus? I'll just say this. If you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. Amen. And you have put on Christ for there is neither what? Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's my point. Paul was not saying that your national ethnicity disappeared when you became a Christian or your gender was changed? Are you listening? If you were Greek before you got saved, you're going to be a saved Greek after you get saved. Hello. If you were Hebrew and you got saved, you're now a saved Hebrew. Hello, somebody. He is also saying that if you are male and you get saved, you didn't become a, a female. 
But what he, is, he says here that you're none of these things. What he is meaning is this is a Hebraic term of comparison that all of this is now subordinated and subjugated to the higher calling I have as a child of God. I lay down my agenda as a Hebrew and I come in here to worship with children of God that are also Abraham's seed that were raised Gentile. I'm not talking to anybody. And what he means by that is you don't you can access the promises of God. You literally access the promises of God by laying your agenda down. It's only then that you become heirs according to the promise. One reason some people can't inherit the promise of God is they've never learned to subordinate their personal agenda to that of the king of kings. They don't lay it down. They carry it with them. And so whether you're male or female, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, or anything else, you're none of the above. Amen. When you come to the house of God, what you really are is a worshiper. And all of that gets submitted to that one calling. This is what Ephesians means in 4.2. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, when we come into the house of God, we haven't come into perfection yet. In his eyes, we are perfect. But what we do is we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When you find people that are disrupting the church because they're fighting for their own agenda, what you have done is you have now just witnessed what God said, I am opposed to. Because if you will focus on me, I will heal the differences. And that's why in this church, oh, I, I need to talk to you. When I first came here, we were a small congregation. We had a couple of African-American families, that was all, and a couple of Hispanic. And yet we were in a multi ethnic community and I believe a church needs to reflect the community that it's in. So you know what I did? I changed things in, in, around here and I said this is a church for all nations and, and I elevated people from various communities not just through token elevation either. I made an African American man that had been proven himself to be one of our board members and, and set people up so that this church could present to this community we weren't a white church or any other kind of church. We were God's church is what we are. And, and we were for everybody. Now, I need you to know that's where we've come from. But of course, you've got all of these blended cultures. And here's what happens. Frederick Nietzsche mentioned this years ago, the German philosopher, one of the greatest statements I've ever met. Because if you focus on fighting monsters, this is what he said, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And if you gaze long into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. What that means is the more time you spend fighting, you end up becoming the very thing that you hate. Oh, you hate animosity and division, and yet you start fighting, and the next thing you know, you got it going on right in your own heart. And Jesus is telling us a better way. I am the prince of peace. I will heal. Lift me up. I can do what you can't do. Amen. You say, how does that relate to worship? You see, in worshiping God, we not only give him the glory that he deserves, but worship helps us stay strong and remain close to God in a world filled with opposition, problems, and temptations. Every day of your life, the enemy's trying to set traps and snares for you. This is how you stay filled with joy and, vic and how you remain victorious. You come in here from a world where there's all kind of stuff going on, but you come in here and you worship. And when you worship, whatever the enemy has attached to you can't stay. It's got to fall off because what you do is you create a heaven zone in your worship. You create a devil-free zone in your worship. The devil can't, you know what? He can attach to you like a leech, but you begin to worship God and he's got to let go. I, I, I got to get out of here. My God, I, I, I'm allergic to this place. And he can't stay where true worship is going on. 
which means that your healing and deliverance is the result not of you focusing on your problem, but rather you focusing on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. I love this passage because I have actually come from a religious background. We were the SEAL team of religion. We were the special forces. Only a few made it to our level. Uh, We were tough. Pastors in those days used to sit on the platform. Y'all don't remember that, do y'all? When I came here, preachers sat on the platform. I moved off the platform because I wanted to show people of this church my highest calling is to be a worshiper. People, pastors in those days used to be observers, not worshipers. And they would observe the worship. And if you had something going on in your life they knew about, they would get off the platform, go down, take you by the elbow. Anybody remember this? And escort you right over to your seat and sit you down and whisper in your ear, you need to get that fixed before you worship. That's not Bible. I wonder how many people have been so humiliated they dropped out of church to never go back. Amen. It's not only cruel, it is not biblical. Look at this verse, Mark 5, 6. The demoniac, did you hear me? The demoniac of Gadara. They actually called him legion because he had between four to 6,000 demonic spirits living in him. And a legion could number four to 6,000. And they called him legion. He was running around naked, cut himself with stones, excrement smeared over his body, laying in tombs among the bones of the dead, terrorizing villagers. They would bind him with chains with supernatural strength. He would break them like they were mere threads and just scared people to death, attacked and injured people. And when the bow of Jesus' boat crunched, oh Lord, against the shore of Gadara, and Jesus stood up to get out of the boat, that man was watching everything going on, and he saw Jesus. I don't even know how difficult it must have been because he was in such total possession of demonic spirits Watch this. He could hardly do what he wanted to do. But he, with great effort, laboriously put one foot in front of the other and went to where Jesus was and fell down and began to worship him. Most people would have said, go sit down. I'm preaching better than you're responding. You say, how do you know they would have said that? Because his life was not what it needed to be. How do you know that? clue. He's naked. Give you any hints? Amen. And what Jesus said was this. Jesus commanded the spirits to come out of him. But before the man got through worshiping, this thin, shrill voice, Jesus, leave us alone, takes over because this man is possessed. But this is what I'm talking about. When something's got a hold of you and you can't get free, if you can praise and then worship, move beyond thanksgiving into praise, and then move beyond praise into worship, stuff is going to start falling off of you. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you how to have a breakthrough. I'm telling you how to get to the next level in your life. We've got all these folks sitting around saying they don't deserve to worship. You don't either. You say you're insulting me. No, I'm being serious. None of us are perfect. I'm not. You're not. None of us are. We need to get into the presence of God that we can be delivered and healed from the things that are going on. Therefore, one of the greatest functions of a church is to be a worship covering because we facilitate breakthrough to the glory dimension. You can't reach it by yourself, but when you come here, we'll thanks God with you till we get to praise. Then we'll praise God with you till we break through into worship. And when we break through into worship, something's going to get a hold of you and and something's going to begin to happen in your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. 
as far as this business about you're not qualified to be a worshiper. None of us are. We listen to Jesus. Luke 4, 8, when the devil tempts him in the wilderness, Jesus answered and said to the devil, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, <laughs> you shall worship the Lord your God. You the devil, but that didn't give you a pass. In fact, the reason you are the devil is because you stop worshiping. You wanted people to worship you. So you started carrying your little agenda into the presence of God. And if you had kept on worshiping, you wouldn't even be the devil right now. But you got your life messed up because you allowed an agenda to keep you from performing the highest agenda, which is to worship your Savior. I'm preaching to you today. Hello. Listen to what I'm talking about. What do you need to do in your life when you don't want to worship? What do you need to do? You stay home? You see, your flesh doesn't want to cooperate with you. It's Super Bowl Sunday. You need to stay home. Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons are playing today. I know the game's not until evening, but you need to get rested up. And you know what? You'll say, I hadn't thought of that flesh. Thank you. I appreciate the input here. You, we listen to our flesh tell us to do stuff that's stupid. And if we look at somebody else, we know it's stupid when they do it. But when we do it, we think it's intelligence on our part. And they're looking at us saying, that is stupid. We listen to the flesh. The flesh will get you into trouble. Amen. We become carnal. Every one of us, if we don't come into we will watch our spirituality begin to wane. So what happens when your flesh doesn't want to worship? When you want to stand in the hall sending text messages? Amen. What, 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 what do we do? You know what you do? You tell your hide. Look, you're going in there whether you want, it or not, want to or not because I'm dragging you in there. And I'm going to worship. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be impacted as a result of me worshiping God. And whatever's got a hold of you is getting ready to shake off. You see, because that's what happened with the demoniac. He managed to enter into worship with 6,000 demons, up to 6,000 demons possessing him. He managed to go beyond thanksgiving and praise into worship. And the result was they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. God can turn it around. I'm talking to somebody. God can turn it around. I don't care what bad news you've got. God can turn it around. God can make divine reversal occur in your life. You get into the presence of God, something's going to change. This is how you overcome your faults. Not staying home and yielding to your carnality. None of us are perfect. And I usually start with a joke, and I'm going to end one today, with, with one today because I've run out of time. Did you hear about the guy who died and went to heaven? I messed up this joke in the first service because I was writing, I was wanting to get to some other stuff, and I raced through it, but I got it down now. <laughs> Amen. So St. Peter escorted him through the pearly gates. And down a long hallway that was filled with fans, each moving at a different speed. Amen. And when he looked, these were actually clocks. The man asked what all the clocks were for. And St. Peter replied that they all represented the lives of people. And some of those, needle, those, those, fan, those needles on that clock, hands on that clock were going so fast, that's why he thought they were, they, were, they, were, they were actually fans, but they were actually clocks. And St. Peter said, everybody's got a clock. You didn't know that? And the man said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, what's that clock doing right there? It's hardly moving. And, and he said, that's Billy Graham's clock because he doesn't hardly ever sin. Well, what about that one over there? It looked it look like it's frozen in one place. That's Mother Teresa's clock. And he said, well, can I see my clock? And St. Peter said, yeah, come with me to the office. It's moving so fast, we put it in the office and use it as a fan. 
If you're struggling, be a worshiper. And what you need to know as I close is that different cultures worship in different ways. You know they do. I've had the privilege of ministering in 102 different nations. Nearly every one of the South American and Latin American nations, only a couple of them I haven't been in. Many of the African nations, many of the Asian nations, European nations, into Russia. And I've learned that different cultures worship, worship differently. For example, we have many Hispanics here. If you were raised in an Hispanic spirit-filled church, it is not uncommon for you to have seen people tremble. Do I have any Hispanics here? I remember the very first time I preached in the Philippines many years ago. Lord, that was a long time ago. And I had, we had a crusade and a building seating 400 was filled with 1,200 people. And people were sitting between one another's knees. I'm serious. Strangers. And the power of God began to move. And I gave an altar call. And as many could get to the altar as could came. And then the spirit of the Lord fell. And people were getting the Holy Spirit right there in the congregation. And all the way in the back, there were two guys that had come that were making fun of everything that was going on. And the man right in front of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to to tremble like he had gotten a hold of a live wire. And they were laughing at that guy, laughing at him. They even told this later. They gave their testimony. And this guy was shaken and lost his balance and fell over. And one of them, they're sitting so close their legs are touching. And one of them throws up his hand to stop the guy from landing in his lap. And when his hand touched the guy, he began to... And because he was touching the guy next to him, he was... It, they got filled with the Holy Spirit that night. It was the most amazing thing. And it was powerful. Some of you come from an African-American church background. Tell me if this looks familiar. Ever see that? And then some of you white folk... <laughs> Bishop Joseph Garlington, who pastors a multicultural church like this, he tells his African-Americans, you be on time. He tells his white folk, learn to keep time. <laughs> There's a reason some white folks don't get demonstrative in, demonstrative in church. They don't know how. <laughs> Amen. Not making fun. So what are we going to do? Put all the tremblers over there and put all the dancers over here and then put all of those that. And I'm not making fun because some of you can probably keep time better than I can. That's not what God's about. God's about an orchestra of praise. Because somebody trembling is like the cello or the violin. Somebody else that's dancing might be like the percussion and somebody else doing something else. All of it, they may be the brass, but it all together joins to create a harmony, a symphony that exalts God. That's what I love about Christian Tabernacle. We have come from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and we worship God together. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Hallelujah.